Hello, I'm Mike Patra, and I'm the host of the Hoopball DFS Today podcast. Come join us as we go game by game, breaking down our top plays, fades, values, pivots, and talk overall strategy for both tournaments and cash games. And the best part, we're doing this seven days a week. So come check us out. That's Hoopball DFS Today. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Mike Patria for any updates, listener contests, and DFS information. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of NBA Today. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Make sure to check out HoopBall at HoopBallTweets on Twitter and Hoop-Ball.com. Check out their website. A lot of fantasy information, team podcasts, all the NBA content you would want. On today's episode of NBA Today, I'm joined by a longtime friend, uh, Hoop-watching savant and, and someone who really enjoys the game, Mr. or Professor, actual Thomas Gamble. Mr. Gamble, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Um, we just broke, we're going to break down the recent Grizzlies-Blazers game, the one playing game that the NBA just kind of put in. Really exciting. Obviously, the Blazers came out on top. And then just really kind of branch out, see where the Grizzlies are going, which into the offseason is, is the next step, and then see how the Blazers match up with the Lakers. But first, really focusing on this Grizzlies Blazers game. Really tight game. Blazers were able to sneak out with the 126-122 victory. This was a fourth consecutive down-to-the-wire finish and a fourth straight win for the Blazers. And really, they did everything they could just to get into the playoffs. But looking at this game, Tom, what did, what did you get from, from both teams? Wow. Well, it was it was quite the battle. The one-on-one back and forth between John CJ was incredible. John getting to the rack and CJ pulling up from wherever he wanted. That that definitely was how it happened too. John went off for a career high thirty five points, which I mean he he wait he waited to the biggest game of his pro career thus far to deliver that performance. That was a lot for him. Um, while CJ McCollum, who you know was actually playing with a fracture in his back, was able to score fourteen of his twenty nine points in the fourth quarter, and he had a Big pair of jumpers over Morant late in the game that really helped give the Blazers all the distance they needed in this win. But one guy I really thought was key, um, well, there's really two, but one who really did damage early um, uh, were the bigs on both sides. But namely, we got to start with the winning one, and that was Yusef Nurkic, who had a monster double-double, 22 points and 21 rebounds. Yeah, those 21 rebounds, um, they, they needed every bit of that. He's the big man that they've been searching for since they uh, they tried to make a desperate bid for for Whiteside. But now that he's back, he was playing with quite a heavy heart. I know his, his grandmother had been sick with the COVID, and, um, you know, he played uh, quite an emotional game. But 21 rebounds, thats <laughs> that means he was doing his job. Yeah, he definitely was. He had um, his previous uh, first half high for rebounds in his career was 12. And by this halftime break, he had 17, which was insane. None of his other teammates had more than one. So he was just single-handedly the Blazers' rebounding guy. And he did a great match against um, Jonas Valanciunas, who really did work alongside 
Ja Morant for the Grizzlies. Um, Jonas finished with 22 points and 17 rebounds on his own, along with six assists. He did go 0 for 4 from 3, which, I mean, you're not making a couple. Like, he's just really becoming a stretch four. This may be his third or fourth season really embracing that. But in general, a, a great game by Valanciunas to go along with John Morant. Yeah, Valanciunas, I like his game. I hope they they keep him locked up for for uh, a couple of years to grow with the, all the young players they have. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And he still is under contract for a little bit now and only 28, so there is room to kind of cement himself alongside Jaron Jackson Jr. and others. And maybe, you know, if the if the fit is really good there and it seems good now, he can kind of transition to a, a bench role. He'll be a productive player for years to come. And, and, you know, bench isn't even something being considered right now, um, and it shouldn't be. But I'm just saying long-term future, that's something to, to look at down the line. Um, but the Grizz had other help. Uh, Dylan Brooks, who I have been really all over with for just his inefficient shot taking, and, and I'm not saying I don't like inefficient shot creation. I actually do. But I feel like you have to make those shots. And Dylan Brooks wasn't. It seems like he'd been forcing himself into a role that wasn't one that he would be um, – handling into his career with the Grizzlies, which is that of of a high-volume shot taker, I don't see his Dylan Brooks role. That's not the kind of player he is, and he was doing a lot of that. But he was somehow able to to curb that a little bit and and put in a position that worked best for the Grizzlies. He finished with 20 points, uh, four or five from three, you know, only two rebounds and two assists. So when he's not really putting the ball in the basket, you're not really getting a whole lot from Brooks. But Grizzlies need an offense in this one game, and he, he did provide it. And you also had a big game from Brandon Clark. 20 points, uh, four rebounds, three assists, but four for five from three as well. Um, and these guys really helped alongside an even game from a Slow-Mo Anderson, 10 points, six rebounds, nine assists to to give some balanced support for John Morant, even without Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, I was glad to see in such a big game like this how Memphis was so efficient, even the role players. I mean, Brandon Clark was, you know, a guy that I was really hoping would go to the Suns, but it's nice to see him end up with the young Memphis team. He just, you know, he, he doesn't um, make a lot of wasted shots. He shoots when he's open, gets his rebounds and putbacks. So I think he and um, you mentioned Anderson, but also Dylan Brooks was was pretty hot. I I did like the shot selection he had against the Trailblazers. Pretty much, you know, an open three. And then once you hit a couple, you get your confidence boost, and then you feel like you're allowed to take it whenever you want. Exactly, and that confidence obviously, you know, does help um, with the shot making and knowing, hey, you know, I feel like I can convert whatever shot I need in this situation. So that was big for them. Um, what's funny is that Memphis played with poise that they did not exhibit through most of the games in this bubble. They led 94-89 going to the fourth. Um they had a lead of eight with about 10 minutes left, which, while obviously is nowhere near insurmountable, um, was pretty pretty good for them. And they held Lillard, who we know has just been setting the NBA world on fire uh, over the past week, to no points at, or no field goals in the fourth quarter, which was big. But even with that, they, they couldn't force their way to a second game um, here on Sunday. And, uh, and this was another thing I thought was really big about the Grizzlies. They could have folded really early they got down by 16 in the first quarter and in a span of four minutes and 48 seconds basically erased that entire deficit and turned into a lead of 36 33 with the run that was uh 22 to 3 for the grizzlies like that is something we haven't seen a lot of not only from a young team but just from this memphis team who which has shown a lot of heart and poise throughout but just did not have those same um attributes in, in this bubble 
Yeah, it was, it was nice to see. I, I wasn't sure how close this game would be because I knew, you know, I thought, you know, the Trailblazers being the, the more skilled team and then also, you know, wanting it maybe a little bit more and having the, the upper hand. But, um, yeah, they, they definitely played with a lot of poise. And I wouldn't say that they lost it. You know, they were up a little bit in the fourth quarter. But when when you look at how C.J. McCollum was shooting, you know, it's not like, you know, not, not like they could do anything to stop that. He was just on fire. And when he did give up the ball, you know, Carmelo hit a pretty clutch three in the end. And then, you know, even, um, you know, when you, when you have Carmelo to go to, when they're doubling you or when you drive and dish, it's nice to have in your back pocket. Yeah, most, most definitely. Carmelo went one for six from three, but that one three he hit, you know, in the closing frame was the biggest for the Blazers and just keeping that separation. And, you know, he also brought back the, the big cojones dance, which I'm sure he might get a little a little <laughs> fine for the NBA with. I haven't seen that since, uh, you know, Sam Cassell and Kobe Bryant like 10, 15 years ago. Well, you knew there was one guy that wasn't going to be bashful left, you know, going over five. He's he's always got the green lights, so you know. exactly, exactly. He 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 has that um, in his head all the time. It's kind of what got him here. But even now, you know, it comes through in moments like this where uh, not a lot of other Blazers, aside from Lillard or McCullum, would have had you know those cojones that Mello was flashing to take that <laughs> shot in that situation. When you saw him play against the the Rockets, you knew he wanted some of that. He was he was playing with some. I think some added vigor there. Oh, most definitely. But looking back on more of the Grizz, of of the Blazers, um, it, it was it was a pretty solid effort all around. We obviously said that they were led by um, McCullum and Lillard, and mainly McCullum down the stretch. Even if Lillard had you know more points there, um, we already mentioned Nurkic and Carmelo. Aside from that, you really didn't have a whole lot, and that is something that I am wondering about. Um, Moving forward, I mean, Zach Collins um, only played seven minutes, and yeah, Gary Trent, yeah, exactly. Gary Trent Jr. Uh, uh, played a whopping thirty-five, but you know he did, he wasn't. I don't know. He wasn't very effective. It didn't seem um, <laughs> to play thirty-five minutes. And I think what did he take four shots? Yeah, you're right. Well, three. Yep, three of six from the field, one of three from three, and then on defensive, and he had three rebounds and 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 five steals, which is great, and two blocks. You could say that more of his impact was on the defensive end, but I mean, you know, in a, in a game where you're relying on a hampered McCollum and, and a and a heavily swamped um, Damian Lillard, I, I guess there's two ways of looking at it. On the one hand, in my mind, you could say, okay, Carmelo came through and Yusef came through each with 20 plus points, right? On the other hand. It was 126, and after that, Whiteside had four, Mario Zonia had five, um, Wayman Gabriel had three, and Zach Collins had three. So in a game where you did win, you know, granted by four, you know, those extra offensive possessions would have been big. Um, but with everyone taking at least those th- uh, four guys I mentioned, or three, yeah, four guys I mentioned, taking 14 shots or more, I don't know. I, looking at it, I felt that, in the actual flow of the game, Trent could have been more aggressive. And looking at it now, I'm like, well, if I look at the shot distribution, then maybe not. But if we're looking at both the eyes and the numbers test, I think he could have done to be more aggressive then. And, I mean, he's going to have to in the next series, don't you think? Yeah, that's the the trick with some of these teams like Memphis and Portland that have some gunners. 
if you're going to be a role player on that team, then you have to make sure you're efficient. But when it's your turn to step up, then it's your turn to step up. Now, you know, Memphis, we talked about guys like um, Kyle Anderson and um, even uh, Brandon Clark. But Portland doesn't seem like they have the they don't have the treasure Trevor Ariza that they you know had in the past to come in and play that role or you know just fill in when they need to. It seems like their bench is a little thinner, which it's always been a little bit thin. But um, you know they got to learn uh, their their roles, which I, I don't know who's who's playing the seventh and eighth man now because you have some guys that are I think not just rotational, but also situational, like Zach Collins playing a very limited role because Memphis, I think they would have been able to take him off the dribble all day, and uh, that wouldn't have been good for Portland. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And and speaking of that, I, I actually jumped again a little bit talking about you know Portland and what they're going to need moving forward. But before we even get to Portland, let's let's finish with Memphis. Obviously, you know, a season where they, they played really strong. They, they had pretty... Um, they were pretty much in the driver's seat in that eighth seed, and then just proceeded to have a disastrous uh, Orlando bubble, basically going two and six and enforcing, um, was it yeah two and six yeah enforcing uh, a situation where they had this play in that they just lost. Obviously, there's a lot of good to take away. Obviously, you can't discount the injuries to Jaron Jackson Jr. in the bubble to um, um, other uh, Ty- Tyus Jones, and one you know made this big trade. And, and getting rid of Andre Godala and bringing back players that are a main player that you were hoping to have as a part of the team moving forward in um, oh, losing everything here now. But it, it, when you have a, a, a move that you did midseason, you know, you're, you're getting rid of players. You're hoping to get some back from Miami in a Justice Winslow, who you think would make a huge impact for them. And, you know, he was injured, unfortunately, to begin with. And then he comes into the bubble and he's unfortunately injured, you know, again, um, in in Orlando, so you were already hampered immensely. Um, with that being said, what takeaways do you have about where Memphis can go? Everyone is returning under contract, um, with the only exception being Anthony Tolliver, um, DeAnthony Melton, and Josh Jackson. Now, the Grizzlies did decline the team option on Jackson, so the only way they can bring him back is basically a one-year uh, $8 million deal um, at this point in time. D'Anthony Melton, D'Anthony Melton was more than likely going to be re-signed. He was a great boost, and honestly, he was a piece that the Suns didn't even really want to get rid of, but they felt that they had to attach to Jackson to offload him, which, I mean, we could talk about Phoenix and the philosophy then another day, another podcast. But with that being said, everyone else is returning. You're, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. should be healthy coming back. You know, these guys are going to be back. Um, what are you expecting? What are you looking for Memphis to either try to, to try to acquire over the offseason to improve internally? What are your thoughts on this really young Grizzlies team that, that surprised early? Yeah, I really like the way they line up for the next couple of years. Even in 21-22, um, they have some team options. Uh, obviously, they're going to hold on to John Morant, but um, Jaron Jackson as well, you know, up for the 21-22 season. So, to have some nice young players under reasonable contracts should enable them to go out and get a few players that they might need. You know, the the veteran presence is probably the one thing that they're missing. So I think next year when they make their bigger push for the playoffs, 
they're gonna they're gonna treat it like some of the the Philly rebuilding years where they might say, okay, we have all this young talent. Now we need some locker room guys, some some maybe some fours, some guys that can shoot, some guys that are great for the locker room, and veterans that know how to teach the young guys how to play on a night in night out basis. Yeah, I do think that is something that they're definitely gonna have to look into moving forward. Um, I personally am not gonna lie; I was not I was not um, in, expecting such rapid improvement from Memphis. You know, uh, just couple, just not even a year after getting rid of both. You know, Marcus All, um, letting Mark, tra- getting Marcus All, and losing Mike Conley. I thought, okay, it's gonna be a couple years of them kind of building from the ground up. And I don't think this is a flash in the pan type of performance. There's a lot to build on. There are also going to be a lot of teams that are better next year. You know, Phoenix off off top. Um, I don't seriously expect uh, Minnesota to comp- to compete for a playoff spot, but there will they will be a team that is another solid squad. But for Memphis, you're right. It's it, it, it's building, and this, and I want to hear what you think about this. My hot take for Memphis is that they need to find a, a go-to guy. John Morant, to me, is going to be one of the better, best players on the team. Period. But I mean, someone who's going to convert buckets and just get them consistently. John Morant, you know, was still some of, of, of a balanced playmaker. You know, he he definitely could score the ball. And Jaron Jackson, to me, is someone who, just by nature of his position. You know, having to be fed the ball, not someone who's going to give his own, create his own shot off the dribble. I think you need a, a swingman, a, a wing player who can come in and and make buckets. And even if that's like a stopgap and someone who just fits in this team as someone who can just put the ball in the basket, or maybe it's another three and D um, wing player, even someone that that isn't super great, but maybe like an Etwan Moore or a, a Kent Bazemore, someone you know who's solid can come in take about five or six three-point attempts a night, try to lock down a defender, and bring another source of offense. Um, and if it's not going to be a focal point, then just another weapon that you can use to manufacture offense for this Grizzlies team. Yeah, I mean, you look at their young talent, and, and all these ages aren't super young. Jaron Jackson is still only 20. John Moran's 21. Um, but the other guys are in their, their early 20s. Jonas is the, the, the 28-year-old, and they have him under what I consider pretty reasonable price tag for the next three years. In fact, it goes 16, 15, 14, which is, you know, I, I think people are not counting on him to produce. So those numbers might have seen overinflated in the past, but I think going forward, those, that might be a bargain for Jonas. I mean, especially being able to help um, at the center position where they have all these, these pretty good wing players, albeit young, but they needed some, center stability allows Jaron Jackson to to step out and shoot if he needs to and I I really can't wait to see how Jaron mixes in when they come back you know the bubble some it 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 really helped solidify some teams like we mentioned the Suns and then for Memphis you know when you lose one of your stars like that you wonder um who's going to step up and so the the bubble did have a couple people stepping up, and I think some of that has to do with John Morant just being able to drive and draw. I mean, I, I don't think I ever saw Grayson Allen have so many wide open looks. I mean, you know, it's um, he. It's not like Grayson's going to be a top performer, but when when he kicked the ball out for wide open threes, that's where he can use his skills. Same with Dylan Brooks, when he has wide open shots like that, and he's he's obviously a much different player. 
Exactly. You're right, guys. Shooters who can benefit off of the penetration from others and, and really enhance their own play that way. And that's another guy. Grayson Allen, as much as I haven't liked him from his Duke time, has been pretty good with the Grizzlies, and especially late in Orlando, was really stepping up his performances there. So that, that was yeah. huge for them. I hate to say there's never not a guy that I usually don't root for, but, you know, after his uh, his kicking problems in the past, you know, it's I hope he's beyond that now and just focus on shooting the ball. True. And I, that was my opinion with both him and uh, if we're talking about the NBA, uh, Draymond Green. Both those yeah. have those kicking attacks that I personally am just like, whatever, they can keep that. <laughs> but um, any last thoughts? Uh, Mr. Gamble on the Grizzlies before we kind of talk about the Blazers and their matchup against LA. Well, with Memphis going forward, as you mentioned, I think it could just be a, you know, a couple uh, go-to guys on the wing that they need. And, you know, as far as scorers go, I hate to say there's always some available, but every free agency, there's always a few guys who, you know, you can get buckets from. And the reason why they're probably still out there is, is they might have deficiencies on the defensive end. Um, so I think they'll be able to get maybe another, uh, you know, rotational or bench player that can put up some points. And then they're always looking for the three and D guy where they can stuff him in to guard the other guys best. Exactly. Exactly. And that should be a priority moving forward. But I will say, you know, although the Grizzlies fell, they did ace this year. They had a disappointing Orlando bubble before a young team. This is a way to improve and get better. You know, this is a, a little bit of adversity they were able to face and and use to build off and make themselves stronger come next season. I think ultimately that's one thing the Grizzlies have positive takeaway to build from and to come back stronger next season. But I'm um, moving on to a team that will remain in Orlando. Got to talk about the Grizzlies. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but I mean, I talk about the Grizzlies. Got to talk about the Blazers. We touched on it a little bit ago, but they will be matching up with the Lakers. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, August the 16th. They will actually be matching up with them on Tuesday. And as hot as Damian Lillard has been, as good as CJ McCollum has, has been in a support role, you know, Yusef Nurkic, uh, it, it's been great for the Blazers. It's been a great story. Uh, not even a Cinderella thing, but just, uh, 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 I don't even know, a testament to the grit that, they have they have mentioned in general. But all that, to me, kind of comes to a quick and more, mostly unceremonious end against the Lakers starting Tuesday. Um, Tom, do you have any thought or any, any kind of inkling that the Blazers can kind of walk out of this series with a win? Uh, well, you know, once, once you see them win a, a tight one like that and you're, you, you have optimism and then you remember, well, you know, they, it was against Memphis and they were battling for the eighth seed not the number one seed so you know the the thing that i think is going to be a major change from what um we've seen even so far in the bubble i think the lakers defensive intensity will obviously everybody's does in the playoffs but um anthony davis and lebron james are two of the better defenders in the league obviously so i don't think it's going to be quite as easy for john moran to get to the rim even though i'm not even sure who's going to guard him I'm sorry, not John Morant, <laughs> the Damian Lillard. Um, I'm not sure who's going to guard him um, because they kind of been rotating point guards in L.A. Is yeah, Caruso? It's, yeah, it would more than likely be a mix of, of different looks. It would more than likely be um, uh, Kate, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Alex Caruso, um, guys like that because – 
they're the only guards to really match up there. You know, I can see LeBron getting looks on uh, Damian Lillard, almost like he did against Derrick Rose way back in the day, just because LeBron still has that defensive fastball when he wants to. It's not, it's not consistent. Um, it's not consistent just with age and, and effort and everything, but he can still do it when he really wants to, and I could see him deployed on Lillard in, in matchups where they need to stop a run or, or when it gets clutch time. But you can expect a platoon of a KCP, of a Alex Caruso, just to give um, Lillard different looks. And even then, I would expect some blitzing as well to kind of keep him on his toes and, and, and not you know, as aware, you know, of what may be coming. But that's really where you're looking. Aside from those two and Danny Green, I, I think those are your options on Lillard. Yeah, I was going to say, so speaking of those role players, you know, the, the Lakers have, you know, they after their big two, they have a bunch of role players. But I think Kyle Kuzma is the one guy that LeBron's going to want to get involved uh, early and often. You know, once he starts his with his confidence, then you could see him easily getting his 20. Uh, you don't want to put him in a spot where he's not ready to let it fly any time. So, and I think against the, the Trailblazers, Kuzma is going to have quite an offensive showing. Kuzma, to me, is the real X factor. Um, if you look back the last time that, and this is a real Anthony Davis-centric um, part right here, but the last time that Anthony Davis played this Blazers um, team two years ago, the Blazers were made mincemeat from Anthony Davis and that Pelicans front court. And a lot of that was, I mean, it's, it's really weird. Obviously, Yusuf Nurkic and um, Zach Collins, the same front court that were there, that are here now, were there two years ago. Even though you know Zach Collins is a rookie, and both players have gotten better since then. However, if you look at the 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 keys to success for the Pelicans, a lot of that success can be replicated. For one, it was having a, a center or a big man, a center really, in Anthony Davis in these lineups that was able to really just totally take advantage of Yusef Nurkic. On the other hand, it was playing with a stretch four. And with the Pelicans, they used Nikola Mirotic alongside um, Anthony Davis. And that made it really tough for Yusef Nurkic and Zach Collins to, A, not get into foul trouble, and B, you know, ignore their rim-protecting instincts to stray out 25 feet away from the three-point line. Now, what Kuzma provides, he's been a lot more streakier of a shooter than Miritich was alongside Anthony Davis, but Kuzma does have some off-the-bounce offensive ability, and he can shoot the ball. So if you put AD at the five, you know, play Kuz at the four, I'm thinking you play LeBron at the three when he's really playing the one, you know, throw in um, Danny Green, and then you have KCP, you can do a few things that would make them uh, play play a little tougher and, and, and put the Blazers in more of a bind on the defensive end. And one of those things, aside from, you know, having that stretch for impact is also making sure that you have Kuz who could take advantage of those situations and then use a lot of LeBron and AD pick and roll, which you know they're already going to do, but to continue to put stress on that Blazers back line and really force them into mismatches that they don't want to get into because there's a team with a tight eight-man rotation, really only two guards and one swingman, and you're trying to hide Carmelo Anthony from LeBron at all costs, and you don't really feel confident about any solution to put on LeBron. That's really a, a big uh, sneaky factor I'm looking at. Who in the world is going to defend LeBron James? Yeah. 
Well, you know, you, same with the other way. You probably throw multiple guys at him. But the guy I'm looking to make an appearance, and I'm, I'm not holding my breath really, but is Hassan Whiteside. Because, I mean, they're going to have to go through, like Anthony Davis is probably going to have his way with, you know, the big men. And so they're going to have to throw a few guys at him. And if you can get Hassan Whiteside to play intense for a few minutes, I think that'll help them out a lot. Um, I haven't seen it really, but you know that they have they have another center to give some fouls. I wonder how how quick yeah. they'll foul out. That's what I'm worried about. You're right because they can get into foul trouble very quickly, and it depends on what white side we get in terms yeah. of the edge, the effectiveness. You know, not getting the foul trouble. It's not like the Lakers don't have a shortage of base. The Lakers are are okay in that regard. You have Anthony Davis. You have Dwight Howard. You have um, uh, JaVale McGee. Markeith Morris is a stretch for in a way for them. You know, you have bigs who can play that position. And so you don't you can put stress on these Blazers' base and get them down real quick into foul trouble. And when you do with that, you're putting a lot more uh, stress on an already exhausted Blazers' backcourt to provide offense and keep them in it. You know, Gary Trent Jr., he's going to have a lot of fight, but, I mean, LeBron just has what that grown man strength is over him. And yeah. if you look at it, it's it's Lillard, Anthony, Nurkic, Collins, McCollum, Whiteside, Trent. That's it. That's the people you trust. Wayman, Way, um, Wayman Gabriel has gotten some more time, so that's somebody else. Anthony Simons, I'm sure, can get dusted off the bench, but he hasn't gotten a ton. He's usually been, you know, kind of stuck in the back. Um and then you're looking at uh, Mario Hazonia, and it kind of just gets worse from there. You know, and you see little guys like that. So this is a spot right now where the Blazers have to make the most out of this eight-man rotation. If they thought they were exhausted then, I mean, they're playing a ramped up, um, not a ramped up, but a rested Lakers team, which my only concern for the Lakers is that they come in too slow and not focused on, 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 on winning. You know what I mean? They come in out the gate, and they're kind of just like, eh, you know. We got time, and the Blazers already know what it has to take to got here to have gotten here because of the effort they've already expended just to make it the situation. But I feel like once the Bla- once the Lakers get numbers on the Blazers and understand, oh yeah, you know, we've done this before. LeBron leads in this way. I really don't see a shocking upset. No, I don't. I think they'll be patient with, you know, having LeBron obviously enables you to do that. But they're going to be. I think they're going to pound the ball and. If it takes a ugly-looking game to maybe win under 100 even, then so be it. The Trailblazers, they rely, I think, too much on their shooting. And if they're not hot or the, the defense is, is, you know, superb, then it could look pretty ugly because, the, you know, if they're not hitting their shots, I think the, you know, the inside game of Anthony Davis will take over and then, the the bully ball from LeBron eventually is the go-to where he gets a step on his defender and then he, you know, rambles to the rack and he's either getting fouled or dropping it to somebody. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that could make a real big impact very quickly for them. So, uh, ultimately, I mean, I think we both see the Lakers kind of coming out of this on top, right? Yeah. Well, how many games, and it's not, I mean, this is, we're not trying to get too in the weeds here, but do you see the Blazers stealing one or two? I've seen it go everywhere from a clean sweep to, you know, a seven-game series. I'm in the middle. I think it's going to be more of a gentleman's sweep. Um, I can see the Blazers possibly winning two, 
but I, I feel like I'm ultimately going to go Blazers in five. I mean, Lakers in five. <laughs> I was, was going to say that the, the gentlemen sweeping, they'll get one because the Lakers, you know, they'll, I don't know if they'll have incentive or whatnot, but um, the, the, the Blazers will be hot one game. And since there's not really a home court advantage, each game is kind of a, you know, a, a free, a 50, 50 shot in terms of home court advantage. So, um, I, I'm sure there'll be one game though where Dame and, and CJ are again on fire, and it's just too much. Yeah, yeah, and and that could be and that could be something that we hope to see. But you're right for the most part. I'm right there with you in terms of what to expect uh, for this Lakers Blazers matchup. Uh, Professor Gamble, it's great to have you on again. Do you have or have you on for the first time? We are going to have you on again, <laughs> most definitely. Do you have any last takes on either of these two teams or the matchups here? Well, I'm just just looking forward to to seeing how the the playoff ball changes in the bubble because you know everybody was treating or looking at the bubble. I think at first kind of like summer league, and it certainly isn't summer league anymore. That is for certain. We are getting a lot of action-packed, high-quality basketball games, and really the action all starts tomorrow. I know we're both going to be looking forward to it, and hopefully can kind of meet up virtually or some and take both of these games in or all of these games in. So. uh that's something I'm definitely looking forward to. But thanks again, Mr. Gamble, for your time. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. And uh, just want to remind everyone, again, check out HoopBall. Also, check out two big partnerships that HoopBall have going on with both my bookie and Manscaped, uh, two different codes. I'm going to try to hook you guys up and, and gals up and help you out here. But for my bookie, if you join today with my bookie, put down any deposit, they'll match that 100%. Plus, they'll toss in a free $10 MLB future wager. All you got to do is enter promo code HOOPBALL when signing up. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. HOOPBALL. All one word when signing up for that free um, $10 MLB future wager. And then for Manscaped, they have the new lawnmower 3.0. You can check that out with the LED lights, the 7,000 RPM motor, and the quiet stroke technology with 20% off plus free shipping with the code BRUSKI. That is B-R-U-S-K-I. Brewski at manscaped.com. So two codes. Just remember that for hoop for hoop ball H O O P B A L L for my bookie. You bet you win they pay. And then for Manscaped, the code name of the code Brewski B R U S K I for that twenty percent off plus the free shipping. So make sure to check those out. As far as today's episode of NBA today is, we are out. Definitely make sure to follow me at Corbin NBA. Y'all stay frosty, and I will talk to y'all next time. All right. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.